Hello and welcome to another episode of AdventuresIn.net. I'm John Claybo, your host, and with me today are your co-hosts, Y Lou. Hey, Sean. Hey. Hey, John. Hey, good. It's almost the longest day of the year for me. Sure, it's like me. It's like almost, (laughs) it doesn't get dark where I'm at, almost like 9 p.m. And it's like light is up at like 4.30 or something like that. You know, one day I'd like to retire and then have like six months of the year where I live in a place like that. And then when it becomes like, it gets dark at five, then fly to the other side of the world in my other house. Because <laughs> <and>, um, <laughs> that's, yeah, I love that. That's awesome. I hate going, finishing work and it's already like pitch black. But. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And your other Caleb Wells co-host. He's going <laughs> to bat, he's ready to bat down the hatches. He's got a storm coming. Straight for yeah. New Orleans. Yep. Yeah. We have a tropical storm. Well, it's already here. We're just getting the outer bands, but it's supposed to get eight to twelve inches of rain. Which you know, uh, it's just another day in, in New Orleans, right? So it's all good. It's where I'm at. It's like dry as as can be, and we just haven't had any measurable rain for for quite some time. It is just so dry. The fire season is. If it gets started, it's just going to be crazy this year. Fingers crossed that doesn't happen. Right. Yeah, yeah. Hope so. And let's bring on our guest, Kareem Janit. Welcome, Kareem. Whoa, thanks for having me. Hey, hello, you're in hello. The conditions with me, aren't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll be friendly. <laughs> all right, all right. So, uh, Kareem, why don't you, you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started in development and, and .NET, and then uh, get into what you do now. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates, and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire. They're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Well, Kareem Dernie a uh, geek at heart. I started development in my high school years. Back in the 90s, internet was a new thing. And and we're trying to figure out how to build websites and you learn a little HTML and you think you got it all. Then you realize that you need something in the back end and what works on the browser doesn't necessarily come from blank. (laughs) (laughs) And you start getting more into to find out how to build stuff that changes colors. And and next thing I know, I was uh, learning VB. Uh, VB5 actually is where I started. Oh, nice. Yep. I did yeah. that. Yep. So that was a, a real nice you know, environment that they had there with Visual Basic. Basic, you know, all the drag and drop, just click things. And it's not quite so easy anymore. <laughs> yeah, I miss those days. It was it was more like a fancy Excel sheet back then. If you do if you could do macros, you could do VB. Yep. And uh it was it was a lot of fun. My very first comp site class I took in, in community college was uh, was a VB structured VB5 class and and that's really how how I picked CompSci. That's what got me into CompSci at that point. Of course, later on you realize VB is not used in any other future classes. It's all about C and Java, but 
but it gets you into the mood and it, it, it really gets your juices flowing. So that's pretty cool. So have you been into .NET since the beginning? You know, since 1, 1 1.1? Oh, yeah. So uh, I the first transition to .NET happened when it first came out. One, one I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't like it that much. It was very buggy. It was, it was mainly the way I saw it back then was a way to enable uh, desktop developers to move into the web. And hence the, the web form part. And it's very similar to, to VB6 and the regular uh, VB forms, which was a good intention. I think there's just the idea was there, but it needed to be refined a little better. .NET 2.0 is really where I started taking off with using .NET. That was, that was really the revolution of .NET, if you will, right? Pretty much a lot of what we see today in .NET comes from the 2.0 framework. So that yeah, was um, yeah, 1.0 didn't even have master pages, so that really sucked. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> All right, so what do you um, do now? Well, now I play a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> I I'm running Advancio, which is a software development services company. We help companies build cool, awesome software, but really what we do is we also develop talents in the process. So we like to say we develop extraordinary people to develop extraordinary things. And we I'm having a lot of fun doing that. But also the way I keep myself entertained is I run a little R&D department that we have inside Advancio. So um, that's how I uh, get to play with the stuff, the new stuff that come out and whatever me and the R&D team deem that it's worthy of, of a prototype or some kind of a product that's worthy of market, then we kind of go ahead and build the POC and, and ship it out to the market. And we have a few, you have a few, few products out there in the market right now that have that were born from the R&D. So that's my tech life. And then the other one is my business life. I'm just running a company and we're in three different countries right now as far as physical locations. And then our workforce is distributed across, I think, 10 or 12 different countries. So it's it's very challenging keeping up with international laws and regulations, but, but my hobby is to code. So I, I tend to do that a lot still. So how did... How did- COVID-19 impact your business and, and your development teams? Yeah, it's been a very, very interesting trend. I think on one hand, business-wise, COVID-19 has really accelerated people's adoption of IT and digital transformation in general. Uh, all of a sudden, it's like people woke up one day and realized, oh, crap, we need to go on the cloud. <laughs> And, or I need to be able to work from home, or, or if my employees get sick, I need to be able to have business continuity, which similar to a lot of IT companies like ourselves have really seen an increase in influx of business, which was great. The way it affected the development team, on the other hand, is that it created a very, very big demand for talent. I'd say even the search for talent. And what that did is it, cre- it started creating instability in workforces. And we're not the only ones. It's a lot of IT companies have, have experienced that. And with the remote work now, your job market as a developer is not just your neighborhood or your city. Now it's like the whole world is your, ta- is your job market. So that's created a lot, of, a lot of instability in the workforce in general. Yeah, I remember when the pandemic first happened, I thought like, all our jobs would be threatened, to be honest, in the IT industry. But it ended up being even, like, at least in Australia anyway, um, the, the demand for IT resources was even higher because mainly due to the fact that most of the work, most workplaces just weren't ready for like a, a workforce where everyone was working from home. So there was tons of stuff going into the cloud and things like that, and there still is. So. It is definitely interesting to see 
how COVID-19 is impacting IT and development, but jobs in general. I'm sure you guys mm. have seen the the articles, the great resignation, right? Because a lot of companies want their employees to come back into the office. A lot of employees don't necessarily want to or vice versa. Mm. And people are taking a second look at their lives and where they're at and what they want to be doing. So it's it's definitely throwing things on its on its side or on its ear, right? And you're figuring it out as as we go. Yeah. So yeah, COVID's, um, COVID's not over. So no, there's still a no. reason to be cautious. You know, a lot <laughs> yeah. of people out there are like nothing, you know, it's all done. I've vaccinated, whatever, but it, even the vaccination's not bulletproof. So, you know, there's still reason to be a little cautious, you know, got a ways to go, I think. Even COVID <clears throat> aside, it's just that conversation of like, I think people forget, it always used to be that working home was like a benefit to the the to the worker but really there's actually enormous benefits to the employer as well um and i think covid has kind of forced that conversation so and and there's there's a balance point there where where if you find the right point you can have a very very productive workforce i think what we're noticing with our workforce the majority they they like the flexibility of working from home but they still want to come to the office a couple of days a week Mm. and feel that culture and that camaraderie that you know we usually miss when we're at home so i think the future is going to be where it's it's kind of a half and half hybrid world where offices are going to be more of congregation spaces than they are workspaces we'll wait and see yeah i think being co-located is still an, an enormous advantage so yeah you you just got to find that right balance yeah i agree with you then one thing for sure is that our lifestyle has changed not not only our work lifestyle but actually our personal lifestyle has changed i mean now we find ourselves doing a lot more feeling very comfortable with delivery services in in everything Mm. right and i don't think we're going back to waiting in line to pick up tomatoes anymore except for people that really want to pick that individual tomato most of us we're ordering online it will get there and if it has a little hole then so be it i'll just chop it off and then you're looking at for example before covid not all restaurants had an order online page. A lot of restaurants didn't even have a website. Now, mm. like the little the little shack around the corner that sells hot dogs has an order online page and you can get it through Postmate or Read or, or Grubhub, whatever it is, right? So it's, um, those are the kind of permanent impacts that I think COVID is going to leave in our society. And guess what? Every single one of those permanent impacts needs developers to continue running that kind of business so we're right. in a good industry yeah. and it seems like it seems like seems like we have a good future ahead of us in your experience in this past year or so what what developer has been most needed or where do you see the most growth in the development sector yeah you know for old school guys like myself the word full stack didn't really exist it was just a developer you did everything from databases all the way to the color of the button that you're clicking and then with the technology getting so complicated and the separation of duties and and the multi-layer architecture like people start getting better at one layer than the other right they were scared now you're the front end the back end the database and all that and i think i think we're back to this place where where people want full stack developers for the for the simple reason is that now you see a lot of small teams you see a lot of one or two people teams they need to be able to develop a lot of features for for a small business now now it's not unusual for what what's considered small to mid-sized business to have a developer or two on staff 
but they can afford to hire multi-discipline, I mean, single-discipline developers all across. So I think full-stack developers are going to continue to be on demand in the future just because of the size of development teams that we're seeing today. Well, and I can, right, as a full-stack developer, whatever that, that means, right, top to bottom, it's definitely provided me more job opportunities because I do have knowledge or strengths in multiple areas, right? Based on what my prospective employer needs. But I I really enjoy um, the .NET space, right? Well, I mean, we're doing a podcast on .NET, so of course, right? But I'm actually moving jobs in the next couple of weeks and I'm actually going to be focusing on Blazor for the front end. So it's going to be .NET all the way up and down the stack, which which is going to be which could be great, you know. It's uh, uh, be able to focus on the C sharp side of things. What do you think are some of the benefits of being a .NET developer in going into the future? I think the, for me, at least from from both technical and a business perspective, is having the support of a of a strong organization behind .NET. Yeah, I mean, Microsoft's gone through a lot of lengths to make it to open source it and and freedom of information, all that stuff. It's it's pretty cool what they've done. They made the barrier of entry very low for anybody, right? So now students are getting to .NET Core and, and VS Code and doing all the stuff, whereas cool stuff before, you needed Visual Studio Professional. And, and not everybody could afford to start. That's why there's not a lot of startups that started in .NET in the past, whereas now you see more and more of them doing that. The advantage is because of that support from, from Microsoft, Microsoft's done a good job of trying to keep the stacks together, right? So Blazor, for example, is a great example. I mean, Angular, great, but I mean, React is wonderful. Um, but these JavaScript frameworks are just one more thing you have to learn as a developer, right? Where if I keep it to you in one language, the biggest thing they did, Microsoft, back in the day was C Sharp. C Sharp is amazing because now for all, before it was all VB, you could write ASP in C Sharp. ASP had to be in VB, right? And then you realize that they invited all this C-based languages and Java-based languages developers to join the ease of use and the quick development platform that Microsoft.NET had. It was very powerful. So Microsoft's always, always reinventing .NET, always making sure that as a .NET developer, you're going to continue to have a job. I think that's that's the biggest advantage that .NET developers have today. Is the market for .NET developers, is that growing? You know, is it a good pace still? Uh, the market... I wouldn't say it's growing. Obviously, it's it's big enough as it is. I mean, there's Java, .NET. What we see now, the hot trend, of course, is the JavaScript framework, and and it's mainly because of like we talked about earlier. It's it's the open source mentality. It's pretty cool. And they're good frameworks. Node is an amazing framework. Uh, React is an amazing framework. But I do think that what Microsoft did is again, for the framework to succeed, you have to give it the ecosystem. They've done a wonderful job with Azure and with all the stuff that you can do with C-Sharp today, like AI and pretty much anything that you had to learn something of Python before, or you had to learn JavaScript before. Blazor is a great example, right? You don't need to learn JavaScript. If, <laughs> you can just continue doing stuff in C-Sharp. And you know for a fact that Microsoft is going to give you something to, to kind of be able to compete and develop programs that clients want. And for that alone, I think Microsoft will continue to keep, I mean, C-sharp is going to continue and that in general is going to continue to have a good market share in the development space. I I know some friends who do PHP and they're 
companies are actually trying to transition away from it because they feel like it's it's a dying language. And I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Maybe it's slowly losing popularity. But in, uh, and of course, right, maybe this is hubris, but I don't see C-sharp going anywhere anytime soon. Even if it's not the dominant language or not growing like the JavaScript frameworks are right now, it's, to me, it's very stable. And once you're in it, um, you're in a good position to continue to grow with the Microsoft tech stack. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. And you, you also got the enterprise, they want to know one thing, that they're not going to be unsupported one day. And most enterprise companies, they really own two stacks, either the Java, because they know the Oracle's behind it, or .NET, because they know Microsoft's behind it. A lot of the big companies in the open source stacks, which there's a lot of other companies that support those open source stacks nowadays that are very reputable. A lot of those companies, usually they adopt them at an early age when they're startups. And by then, if you have good infrastructure, you have a good architecture, everything's working right, there's no reason to don't fix what's not broken. So they stay on those stacks. But I think Microsoft and Oracle are always going to be there to support big enterprises. And for that reason alone, just like AWS and, and Azure are going nowhere. As long as those two are alive, I think .NET is going to be alive as well. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty true, actually. And I think we should preface this conversation with the fact that, yeah, like this this depends heavily on um, the industry you're in and also even the town you're in as well. Like like where I am in Canberra, it's a it's a pretty heavy um, .NET community just because most it's mostly government. Government generally does use .NET and, and also using Azure as well with, with the Office 365 suite, you know, so. But it might be different elsewhere so, and in different industries. That's actually in interesting. Why? Because... In New Orleans, I'd say it's probably 75.NET, 25 Java. I mean, of course, there's plenty of other things, but when you're talking Mm -hmm. about those two. But then when you go to my hometown, Jackson, Mississippi, it's like 90% Java. Mm, Yeah, I think it's definitely your your location and your area can definitely determine which one is is more more viable depending Mm. on where you're living. So, so yeah. it, it comes down to it comes down to talent as well. Mm. I mean, a language dies when nobody wants to learn it, and when you can't find anybody to work in your in your language. Now, the advantage the language we'll be talking about .NET, Java, JavaScript, they're all C based syntax languages, so they're they're very very similar. It's easy for developers to switch from one to another, which actually the the three of them together is their own strength. Whereas that's why there's very very few people that know in comparison right python or or ruby or even php as it goes right now is just because the learning curve to go to that space is even higher as opposed to you know expression semicolon next right so everybody does that so i think that's that's another reason that will keep those languages going also is because it's easy to cross learn them so what things can people do to you know keep their development developers <laughs> You know, there's a lot of things we talked a little bit about working from home remotely, things like that. What are developers looking for today to, to stay in their jobs? That's a very, very good question. I think I had a different answer right before the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> and, and right now, it's more like a moving target. <laughs> I, th- I think what's happening nowadays is, I mean, developers, they, they, want, they want growth, career growth. They want personal development. And I think that's still the case. They wanted that before pandemic. They want it after pandemic. I think what the pandemic did is it it opened up doors or with sometimes valid doors where, where the grass is greener. And sometimes it's 
if not now, then when kind of, yeah, I'm just going to go and try it because I can, because I'm working from home, because I don't have that. It's a, it's kind of a mitigated risk at this point, right? Worst comes to worst, I can always go back and, and find a job in my industry or my neighborhood or something like that. So I think there's like a lot of trial and error going on with the talent pool nowadays. And that's why you see, I don't know if you guys have been hiring recently, but back in the day, well, before pandemic, anybody who jumped ship after a year was like a red flag and like, all right, no, we can't look at that. Well, now we're seeing people jump ship after three months, after six months. I mean, what can you possibly learn in six months that will help you develop your career? Or what could you have possibly learned in three stints of six months each that made you realize that those none of those three jobs you had are the right job for you, right? So I think it's right now we're in a very volatile job talent market, not really job market, but talent market. Because the job market's there. There's plenty of jobs in the market out there. The talent needs to kind of realize that it's okay to experiment for the first few months, but eventually things will settle down and we're going to go back to normal. Whatever that new normal is, it might be a hybrid like we talked about earlier, but we are going to go back to normal. And then those very same red flags are going to start appearing. You know, flags about commitment, Flags about wanting to learn, about self-development. Stability really is what every employer wants to know. Nobody wants to hire a developer. I don't care how good they are. That will stay for three months and then leave. It is because it takes about three months for anybody to be productive. So here I am as an employer. Can I invest in you for three months when you barely are good and you got to go somewhere else now, for whatever reason, for more money, for a cooler technology, for whatever the reason is. I think it's important at this stage of the pandemic, as we're getting close to the end of it, to kind of start hankering in and, and decide that right now I need to start building that stability in my resume and, and plane is over. Let's build my career all over again. In your experience, what is a good time period to be working at a company? I think this is something that we've talked about previously. I think, right, why, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, why every four years or so, Right. You, you look at your options because you may want to to learn a different skill or a different job. I know me, when my wife married me, she's like, you change jobs way too often. And she got she's gotten used to it. And depending on the company and my position where I'm at, I've been in a job a year and a half. I've been in a job three years. Which where is that sweet spot, so to speak? I, I think being an on both ends of the coin as an employer and an employee. I can talk to you about my personal career. For when I first started, what was important to me was was learning and learning fast. And eventually I wanted to become an architect. I wanted to design cool things. To do that, I just needed to be challenged. So as long as you're challenged, I think the answer should be that. As long as you're challenged and you're reaching a milestone in your career, it could be the same job. There's a job in the same job for, I think, 10 years once. I went from a junior programmer to a director of development. And that's not a bad career when you go from managing yourself to managing a team of 30 or 40. I could have done that in different jobs probably, but staying in the same job, I think the advantage of sticking in the same, in the, in the, in the same company is that you earn the trust of the business folks. And that's one of the things that developers don't think about. When you earn the trust of the business folks, then you start being brought into business decisions. You start to understand the why you're asked to build what you're building. You start to have input into technical requirements that are 100% business, right? 
And then that opens you up as a developer to become an even better architect and a better, just a better developer as a whole, because now you can fill in the blanks on the business side, not just in the technical side. Whereas if you just jump companies, what happens if you're a company for two years, I think minimum two years, because what happens, nobody can learn everything there is to know about that particular product in less than that. I mean, unless you're bored or it's an opportunity you can't pass on, which a lot of those tend to come right now with the pandemic. I think two years is a good number that employers would expect. But if if you jump companies every two years, what happens is that every two years you have to get to learn who the business folks are, get to build trust with them. Um, they're not going to let you in in those business requirement meetings at first. You're probably going to get a big requirement document handed to you. Like, all right, go ahead and translate this. Whereas if you're there for four years, five years, then you get more. So every you never get exposed to the business side. I think that's what I'm trying to say. And in my personal case, I think staying in that company that long, it could be an exposed to the business side, had, has helped me transition into the business world and start and co-found the business with my partner and my wife. We did that 10 years ago. That she's in the business side 100%. I'm the geek, but... It has helped me get to the point where I can develop a business that I love, not only because the fun part of running the business, but also because I'm, I run a business in technology, which I also love. So you, you take your hobby and you make a business out of it. And there's, I couldn't have learned that if I, it was not for the interaction with the business folks, to be honest with you. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. I must be an odd developer because I was I was at my first real development job for 17 years, and I've been at another developer job for cl- coming up on seven years. So, uh, and I don't, I have no plans on, you know, moving soon i like what i'm doing and where i'm working and things like that so i guess maybe because i'm older i don't feel that need to jump around and and try to play the salary game or anything like that but i don't know what you said sean like like yeah every four years i do look at my options and, and go for a change but that doesn't necessarily mean to actually find a different job i just sometimes I just want a different role and yeah like if, if you're working in a place and it's good there's no need to just switch employers just to get a different role so i think i think going back to the topic about um, how to retain your dotnet developers i think most dotnet developers do want they don't want to stay in the same project for years and years and years and years and just once if you know and 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 that's it kind of thing they want to they want to you know grow their their skill set and things like that so the best way to retain um developers i think is to to be as flexible as possible in terms of um allowing them um to gain that extra experience Sounds like um, Sean, what your employers allowed you to do that, you know, which is why you stayed there for seventeen years. Yeah, I think it's also because of, of the area that I'm in. You know, there's not a lot of software development employers, you know, within a drivable range of where I live. So my my choices are limited. You know, if I wanted to move um, to where there, uh, you know, was more people in bigger cities and things like that, I probably might not have stayed that long. But it's worked for me. Well, and you there's, know, there's hey, also a generational sorry. thing too. Like the, the newer generation of developers, they there there is the whole aspect of um, instant gratification. There's a whole thing. It's like everything is like the likes in Facebook. You put a post and in Facebook, and you want that like five times, right? 
Whereas, whereas the older developers, we haven't gone through that. We, we don't know that, that instant gratification is more like delayed gratification. And you have to prove yourself before, uh, before you earn your wings. Whereas now it's the other way around. Give me my wings and I'll prove myself, right? Um, so but I think at the end of the day, one of the ways to keep people motivated, like, like what I say, is changing project. And that's kind of part of the instant gratification too. Like you don't want to keep them forever. Like, you know, I want to build something within a two or three years, feel like I've done it, move to something else. And the surprising thing is we figured that out uh, a while ago and, and we do that internally. We, we uh, actually talk to our clients. Sometimes clients have large projects. Maybe we're talking about know, three, four year projects. And um, the, the surprising thing was uh, clients are open to that. If, if you're upfront and you you tell your your business clients that, hey, you know what? Um, Caleb has been in this project for three years. He wants to grow. We want to move him to another project. He's going to stay with the company, but that helps everybody because now you get a new blood in your team. They'll really kill for, you, for your team. Uh, and at the same time, Caleb is here. If there's any knowledge that needs to be passed on to this new person on your team, then Caleb is in a team next door, they can always walk up to them and ask them questions. And Caleb is happy because he's developing his career is moving forward. So, so it's a win-win for everybody. Um, sometimes transparency, transparency is missing in the in the business of, of employment. And if people just are a little bit more transparent, because we're all humans and and we all want to have a win-win relationship. As long as everybody feels like they're winning, um, people are willing to stay. Now, pandemic shifted things a little bit. <laughs> But I, I do think that the concept of human interaction is the same with or without pandemic. It might the water might be murky a little bit, but it'll settle down. Yeah, I do. I do think it's it's interesting to see the right. Uh, I think Sean and I are on opposite ends, and I don't think either one of them is necessarily bad. Like for me in particular, I definitely come from a non traditional background. My degree is in graphic design, so I'm I'm self taught in all the job learning, and I think part of my um, job changes have been to, like you said, grow as a developer. But most of my, the companies I've worked for have been privately owned companies with a specific product, right? And um, so uh, I can see the benefits of, of staying long-term. And um, I can I can tell you right now, I don't take a job with the intention of leaving in a year or two or three. Um, but I'm also, I guess, at this point in my life, and, and I'm honestly, I'm, I'm old school, like I'm 45. I'm not, I'm not like a, I'm not like some young kid who's bouncing around, but um, I'm comfortable with making a change if uh, the life circumstances dictate, right? And I think, like you said, pandemic has, has dictated a lot of those life changes, especially for me. So yeah, and I mean, you changed up every three months, though. Do you? <laughs> no, my no, no. <laughs> well, like you said, I mean, it, you know, it, it takes you three to six months just to get up to speed. the The only time that I have changed jobs in a very short period of time, and they're not even on my resume because they were so short, is that you get into a toxic work environment. Or you get into a company that is not on the up and up, which unfortunately I have had that experience. And you you have to say, you know, this is this is not a good fit for me, and I have to do 
what's best for me and my family kind of thing. But no, I, I agree with you. If you are hopping jobs every three to six months, that is definitely a red flag. And if you're just starting out your development career, you're not going to have the opportunity to learn from your peers or your senior developers, or like you said, learn a business domain in that short period of time. You won't have time to fix all the bugs that you you create um, <laughs> in that time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah now, what, what, what I mean, having developers understand the importance of stability. Thing, I think it's very important. It's very important for them to know that that it's it's about staying in one place. Now, sometimes you know, career growth is not there. Like we talked about this new trend of smaller businesses that will only hire one or two developers, right? Um, they have enough work for them, but that's like that developer is going to get stuck in that small business forever. And what happens, they'll get bored and they will leave. And then the small business is stuck with nobody to do the knowledge transfer and all that. But that's where companies like, like ours come into play. You hire developers through us because we can rotate them through different projects as they get bored and we ensure the knowledge transfer. So there's solution to those small companies out there and that solve their knowledge continuity, but also also solves the problem of developers who are stuck in small project and not knowing what to do next. So that's this is a nice little medium there that that we we came and we're solving right now. Um, but we just it's not it's one hand cannot clap. Everybody needs to know that value that it's important for developers to stay and it's important for businesses to take risk on small teams because they go hand in hand. Because right? we don't want to discourage small businesses from hiring developers just because, well, I don't want them to leave in six months. No, that's not the case. <laughs> They're not going to leave in six months. But there's ways to keep them engaged and entertained. So, of course, we need those small businesses or mid-sized businesses to invest so we can have, continue having a job, too. So it's a two-side equation. So what, what are some of the extra skills that a developer needs, you know, besides, you know, being able to write code, is, you know, there's other skills that, that employers find beneficial to have as a developer. Um, you know, it's, it depends on how big the team is, but I can tell you um, every developer needs to communicate very, very well. Effective communication is key to a successful developer. What you'd find out is most of the bugs are misunderstandings of requirements. It's not because the developer is not smart or equipped or adequate enough to kind of solve the technical problem. It's that they probably didn't understand in the first place or they had an assumption there somewhere. So communication is key. Um, number two, and this is missing in a lot of developers, empathy. Developers, myself included, at a year an early age, they easily get mad at users for not knowing how to use the system they built for them. <laughs> and then every bug is defended as a user error. Empathy will go a long way. Uh, just put yourself in position to ask, okay, if this user, if what he's saying were to be true, where would the issue be and what can I do to help him or help her? I think that's a very good way for developers to grow because Empathy is the key to personal growth. And the last part, I would say just get more interested on the business side of things. Um, developers, by default, are really good engineers. They solve re they're really good at solving problems. Unfortunately, we kind of corner them into technical problems. They could easily bring value into business problems or rework problems. Learning a little bit of a business will go a long way. And a lot of 
be developers that are building accounting softwares or billing software. I mean, it wouldn't hurt taking an accounting class or a finance class while you're doing that. So you can understand the concept of ledgers and balances and all that stuff. It's, it can go a long way into developing quality software that people want to use. At the end of the day, our job is only as good as the people that use it. If you're the best developer and your code sits on a shelf somewhere, then, then sorry, you're not the best developer. Yeah, like I think I think what you said is very true. And I, I actually found that throughout the course of my career as well. Like I've kind of realized earlier on that being out of code is not the only skill set that, that you need to be a good developer because at the end of the day, it's a... Basically, co-projects are, are big enough that it's, you're never going to be working alone. So it's always kind of like a team sport. And yes, communication is really important. And I actually found that throughout the course of my career, I actually, at times, I actually shifted. So I took on roles where I, I was a business analyst. And I'm, I was, now I'm also just managing projects and all that stuff as well. And I think those extra soft skills are, are really important. I always thought that being a being a business analyst would, would actually make me a better developer, basically, because... Technology always changes, but all those soft skills are kind of like for life. So True. And depends on what kind of career you want to do as a developer. I mean, either take the managerial role and lead a team of developers or continue to take a technical role and become the subject matter expert at certain aspects of tech. You need to be able to communicate whether to manage the team that you chose or whether to communicate your findings and your expertise. So yeah, you can't live without it. All right. So is there, uh, we're kind of getting towards the end. Is there any last questions or things that we should cover, Kareem, before we get into picks? I think that's about covers it. I think it was, it was very nice talking about talent and tech and, and career growth and personal development growth. And, and at the end of the day, yeah, you know, we're just trying to build characters that will help us build futures. So at least we believe in that. Like I mentioned earlier, building extraordinary people to build extraordinary things. That's our motto and that's what we believe in. If you could do that, you're on the right track, right? Yep. <laughs> that's all right. Plan. All right, let's move on to picks. Hey folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there. And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. Who wants to go first? I'll go. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I was muted. You, you, you all know how that works in Zoom calls, right? <laughs> so I've I've been taking a little time to catch up on some TV shows or pick up some new ones. And I just started watching, it's a fairly new Netflix show called Sweet Tooth. Oh, no, you took my pick. <laughs> oh, seriously. Oh. That was bound to happen to someone. Well, hey, <laughs> how, how, That's awesome. uh, you know, what's, what, what are the chances? So I can pick something else. <laughs> no, just have a double, just a, it's just a double pick, you know? There you go. Uh, yeah. Hey, is that good? We both picked it. <laughs> But yeah, it's post-apocalyptic, which is funny in this day and age. But it's got and an virus, interesting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, interesting twist. And it's 
it's well done. Good cast, good good story. So yep. hybrid people, yeah. you know, the, the the main story is about a, a boy that's you know half human, half deer. So uh, I've only gotten through two episodes. How far have you gotten, Caleb? Two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys should set up a Netflix party and watch it together. Then <laughs> we we really we really should. We all need to spend more time together because mm. I don't feel like we do enough of it, really. <laughs> and I do mean that. <laughs> all right, why? What's your pick? So my pick this week is a is an app that I have on my on my phone. So it's called Music X Match. It's just an app that basically listens to your it must listen to your notification. I'm not sure how it actually does it, but I'm guessing it's your notification. And then if you're playing a song on Spotify or, or Amazon Prime or whatever you listen to, it'll figure out the song and then give you like access to the to the lyrics, I guess. And then you, you click on the notification and it just shows you essentially like the app when it shows you like line by line the lyrics. So yeah, I thought it was kind of cool if you want to sing along the songs. Oh. I do sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. All right, Kareem, what are you interested in these days? That's funny. A few things. I guess on, on the business side, we're, I'm really excited about this R&D app that we just launched. It's a, it's a Mexico insurance app. I live in Southern California, so a lot of people drive up and down Mexico border. And when I did, I just hated stopping by and buying car insurance from a broker. So we developed this app that allows you to kind of buy it while you're driving and you just cross at any time of the day. So that was, that was pretty cool. We called it a La Segura app. And then I'm assuming you have the, a passenger. So the driver yeah. isn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you, are you coming if you, you have a crash while using the app? <laughs> actually, conversation AI is next. Do you be able to speak to it and buy it? So that's actually, okay. that, we're working on that right now. Nice. And then on the personal side, what I really love, I love sports. I'm a big soccer fan, especially. So I'm watching the Euros and uh, baseball. The fans are back on the stadium. So I, I just, now I'm watching sports in a whole different light. So I'm loving it. Just love having the fans back. So that's definitely going to be my my personal pick. Nice. All right. So Kareem, if our listeners have any questions and they want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? What's the best way? Best way, just reach reach me out on, on Twitter, at Jarnit, my last name. I'm on LinkedIn, Kareem Jarnit. That's J-E-R-N-I-T-E? J-E-R-N-I-T-E, Kareem K A R I M. Yep. Um, okay. A lot of people pronounce it Kareem, but it's Kareem. <laughs> right, great. Thanks, Kareem. It was a good discussion. I think. I mean, we don't always want to be all tech all the time. It's good to talk about you know the soft skills and about the business and what it takes to be a developer and how to get better. Great. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the talk. Very nice talking to you guys. It was it was very friendly and very easy. You made me feel very welcome. So thank you. <laughs> great. great. Thanks. 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 All right, guys. I guess that's it. We'll catch everybody else on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. Thank you, all Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.